this is Listeners, welcome to a brand new, very special episode of Warp Celluloid. I'm your host, Jack Rourke, with my co-host, Chandler Williams. How's it going, Chandler? What are the vibes like on your end of the universe today? Pretty fine, you know. Just woke up and uh, feeling pretty good, ready to uh, record this episode, have a good Me conversation. Too. Woke up, got my morning coffee. We got actually a really special episode today because we are doing not one, but two films, both based on the same source material. You know, Yes, a double feature. Yep. We're, we're, of course, we're talking about the original 1972 version of Solaris, as well as its 2002 remake. Yes, and I'm very excited. This is an interesting one, one because it's got, obviously, it's got a lot of history around it. It's based on a Russian night, or both are based on a Russian sci-fi novel from 1961, which, and of the two versions, from what I can gather, the Soderbergh one is the more accurate, but the Tarkovsky one is the more widely celebrated. Yeah, I could see that. I, I would like to read the novel. Um, so I, I love the story. I think it's a fantastic story. And uh, it's definitely a great story. I mean, but I I was going to read it before we started the show, but I couldn't find a copy in time. The two very different interpret yeah approaches and I think interpretations of the source material. Even though I haven't read it, you can just tell. Yeah. Um, and approach is very definitely the key films. word here because uh, Tarkovsky made this film ran the first one at least from a deli- very deliberate state of mind. I.e., he made this as a deliberate counterpo- counterpoint to Stanley Kubrick's 2001. Mm. Yeah, I remember you telling me that, but... uh, And in his own words, and I quote, in 2001 is a lifeless schema with only pretensions to truth. Mm. Oof. That's a, that's a bold statement. I was going to say the balls on that. Anyway, the original author wasn't keen on any of the film adaptations, except, although he died shortly before... Uh, before uh, Steven Soderbergh's remake came out, so who knows what he would have thought of that. Dang, that's, I mean, I don't know. If, I, my, I myself, as a writer, could not, I wouldn't let anyone else, like, touch my uh, material. I and, would be cautious about it. I, frankly, I'd understand, like, hey, just do your own thing anyway. I know you're not going to get everything right, right, right so just tr- right, trust yourself. Yeah, yeah. Because I know it's not going to tank the original, not, or in my original work. It's not going to, no, I, no adaptation does, in my opinion. Yeah, but I mean, like, if you're the writer, at least your vision can come across. Yeah, and it's not, like, it's not like a Stephen King's Shining situation where he really hated the original film. Or in film, it's more, he's like, this gets some of the details right, it just doesn't get all of it. And not in, like, a plot sense, more in a tone. Or in a tone, because, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he felt that, or that the fil- films were too romantic, as opposed to the alienness he was going for in the original text. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. This, the The latter film is definitely far more romantic, which is one of my problems with it. But it might be one of the things I like about it. But we'll get into that. Yes, we'll get we'll get there. Anyway, I think that's about all I or all I have for preamble. So without further ado, let's get into it. Chandler, which film are we discussing first? First, we'll be talking about the original Solaris. Кельвин, психолог. Насколько я вижу, вы меня не ждали. 
Он понимает, что все будет зависеть от его первого сообщения со станции. Если увидите нечто необычное, не меня, не Сарториуса, старайтесь, держите себя в руку. Лицинация. А кто приходил? Она умерла 10 лет тому назад. То, что ты видел, материализация твоего представления о ней. А Крис меня любит. Хочет мною живой. Да вы не женщина и не человек. А вы, вы только ее повторение. Мне кажется, я, я должна тебя все время видеть. Я становлюсь человеком. не меньше, чем вы. Directed by Andrei Tarkovsky, who is, man, one of my favorite directors. Such a, such... Too, you know, I've only seen this in Stalker, but I, I love his approach. I really do. do it's just... Yeah. I think one of the things I've learned to appreciate more as I get older is patience in filmmaking. Oh, absolutely. Um, as soon as I finished watching Stalker, I immediately bought his um, his book. It's a film theory book as well as like a um, autobiography, um, kind of a, a hybrid of that, which is very interesting. But it's called uh, Sculpting in Time, and man, it is so deep and dense, and exactly how you would imagine it is just by seeing his films. And he is just so philosophical and just so uh, I mean, just just so deep. Um, every shot is just so long and drawn out, but it, it requires so much patience, patience and thought and just appreciation. And it's beautiful. And I, I love this guy. I may just have to borrow that from you one of these days. Yes. It'll, it'll take you a long time to finish it, but, uh, yeah, go ahead. I mean, it, I, I take forever to finish books anyway. So this is, this is just the standard operating procedure, but. I remember there was a quote in particular that I think is relevant to the film from him. Learn to love solitude, to be more alone with ourselves. The problem with young people is they're carrying out noisy, aggressive action to not feel lonely, and this is a sad thing. Yeah, that was probably before the... Yeah, I mean, that was before the internet, so... Yeah. I mean, Man. you could argue whether or not it's more or less relevant in this day and age, but I'd argue more. Oh, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um... Dang. Very smart guy. And, and very well spoken, too. Right, one of the other recurring things is you mentioned right, his long, right, patient long takes. But one of the other things I noticed, especially in this, was the reoccurring motif of nature. Right, the movie's opening shot is just reeds flowing through a, a river, which, ah, uh, it's so beautiful. It is so beautiful. I mean, nature is a big part of all of his films, I think. Um, Wa right, water in particular seems to be a big theme in this one. Run with like the huge bodies of water and water where you see when the when when uh, Calvin enters Solaris. Man, looks so so trippy. Okay, we talked about that yet. Oh yeah, would you so like to both, both versions now? I feel like we should just sum up both versions now because they both have the baseline premise. Well, just you can just sum up the story um, briefly because I mean the story is the same basically. It's a it's a scientist who has to who is requ requested to go to an abandoned space station that may or may not be fucking with the heads of the or the inhabitants. 
I feel like that's the briefest way I can sum it up. Yeah, yeah, and then like he encounters his, you know, his ex-wife, um, and who may or may not be really there. It may be visions, maybe her. We never know. Yeah, which is you know, gets pretty twisty from there. Um, but I mean, like if you're listening to the episode, I, I assume that you've watched the film, either seen the film or interested in it. So yeah, that you can always pause this and come back to it later. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I never feel that bad about spoilers. Another thing I noticed was, um, yeah, like, apart from the use of nature, is the way it's most, I think it's probably Tarkovsky's best looking fil- film, and it's his most visually inventive in a sense. Yeah, I mean, um, in terms of like shininess and, uh, you know, the, a, a bunch of like chrome and sci fi space sets, I would say yes. Um, it's not but even, I mean, it's a deliberately unpolished movie, too. Again, going back to that 2001 criticism he had. And he he thought the spaceships looked too clean, and that there's no way humanity is going to live like this. Which I'd argue Rin was going to be bring probably the modus operandi for a lot of '70s sci-fi to come, like especially stuff like Alien. Is that their spaceships look anything other than glamorous? They're grimy. They look low tech. Rin, they're low tech. They're very more or less what Rin, What's the word? Not clinical. Grant, I guess gritty. Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely agree with that for Alien, but I, I think the spaceship in this film does look high tech, but l- very, um, but in like low maintenance. Like, yeah, like, yeah, like circuit boards and stuff like that, like t- walls torn apart. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like that living room, which, man, you remember that cocaine decor t- or in a Twitter account I told you about? Yes, that yeah, is there's sets in this that look like they could be on there. There's sets. <laughs> no, but uh, I think that. The production design of like the you know sparks kind of flying um and everything just kind of in shatters but it still looks very high tech i think that you know goes great for the storytelling um you know production design storytelling through production design which is a great concept and uh i think it's, it's pulled off I successfully think that's ideal, like storytelling through production design and other things it's and because there's and therein lies the subtleties no indeed I, I like the red too, the red interiors. Yeah, the red interiors. Also, uh, God, here comes the inevitable part of the show. Uh, <clears throat> sponsored by Criterion. I actually watched this through the uh, Criterion DVD. I rented both from my li- from my library, and I found in, during a little bit of digging, I uh, found a couple essays in there. One of which was written by Akira Kurosawa, and the other was uh, written by uh, Philip Lepe, who draws an interesting comparison between this and Hitchcock's Vertigo. Mm, interesting. Which, at first, I was like, "Is that a little too basic a frame for reference?" And then I dug a little deep, or deeper, and, he- and heard the guy. I'm like, "Okay, I can see that now," because he both, frankly, he's talking about it in the broad strokes, not like in this cement. Yeah, yeah. Overarching, or have overarching themes of descending into mad, this and repeating past mistakes and whatnot. Interesting. I could, I could definitely see that. Yeah. Um, yes, but Oh, this is this episode is only partially sponsored by Criterion. 50% sponsored. Allegedly. <laughs> possibly. Maybe. We don't. Maybe. God, someone from Criterion is going to hear one of these these days. Oh, God. I don't know, but uh, another note I had is, is that Kar- Tarkovsky is excellent at shooting real time, or like what appears to be real time. Um, of course, of course. I think that, that like ties into like why everything feels so long and drawn out. Because it, it's supposed to feel long and draw, drawn out because it's supposed to, 
you know, emulate reality and um, like the, or maybe not a reality, but the way he interprets reality, the reality of the characters. And it doesn't have the normal approach to the space atmosphere. Would you agree? Oh, I definitely agree. I agree. It's an interesting take. It's an interesting... yeah, because I mean, like, there, unlike two thousand one, there aren't any like, you know. It's a very just... bright movie visually. I think contrast yeah. with some of the darkness at its core. Yes, and like and the, that, less darkness and more melancholy. Yeah, just kind of like an idleness. Um, melancholy. Melan- ah, shit! I can't melancholic. Melancholic. Yes. Melancholic idleness. Um, thank you. But I mean, like the 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 biggest thing that stuck out to me in terms of the not so common approach to the space atmosphere is that like there aren't you know hundreds of little white dots of stars but you still know it's space so i think it's get that many establishing shots of the space ship outside of it either yeah there may be like it is very contained and interior maybe one or two um i mean because we we see that nice that like fade of his face as he's like entering the station which I mean, like, on my first viewing, I thought it was like a, you know, a, there was like a psychic teleportation kind of entrance to this station. Um, because we don't see his ship, really. But, I don't know. That's that's what stuck to me on my first viewing. Uh, very interesting. I think it's also worth noting that this won the Grand Jury Prize at Cannes back in 73. Oh, nice. Between this and Fantastic Planet, it seems like we're covering a lot of a lot of prestigious sci-fi lately. Prestigious. And foreign as well. Which I'm happy we're branching out at least. And speaking yes, of I, I, stuff, I, I find it fascinating how this how much this has influenced our movies and even Tarkovsky's own work work because it seems to he seems to expand on a lot of the themes he does here in Stalker. Yeah. Yeah, like the you know, regretting the past and just like looking back on and being at the your life and past on or in possibly unknowable world. Yeah, yeah, being uh, out of control. Yeah, another thing I noticed it, or in comparison to this and Stalker is that both have really eloquent dialogue. I mean, like dialogue, oh, like, fantastic funny. dialogue. Right, because I think more than any other filmmaker, Tarkovsky is one dependent on mood or an atmosphere with his stories. Oh, totally. And his his dialogue is usually so philosophically rich. And just especially here, a lot of them it includes references to we or to a lot of all other philosophers. Too many for me to name, actually. Yeah, just so introspective. No, trying though. No. <laughs> and there's poetry in the, the second. Yeah, second one. The pace, I think, for this film and Tarkovsky's work as a whole is very um, steady. I would say. I mean, it, it is slow, but it's progressive and in a steady way, which is something that you would you would point out and you would notice if you have seen any of his works, um, or if you're a fan of him. Uh, but I think it, it really just blew my mind when I first saw Stalker, and I like I didn't realize a film could be that slow and be just that incredible. Um, so it really blew my mind with this film as well because um, it has a similar approach i mean similar in all of his films do that really but uh 
Yeah. Yeah. His pacing is very reliant on mood and tone, as you said. Um, which it's I not just is... pacing too; it's the storytelling. Like what when things get revealed, you can see this in like that one scene stop around nostalgia, where the where the man is walking through that empty pool with the candle. It's a it entire it is an entire one entire take that lasts nine minutes. If I'm not mistaken, his average shot length I think is only forty, or like at shortest thirty four seconds, which is uh, interesting. And for the or for the comparison, I think the the average shot length among other Mer- more American filmmakers is around usually around three, four, or five seconds. Yeah, it's just different approaches. Um, yeah, yeah. For comparison, yeah. like you feel every frame. Yeah, not only that um, feels punishing. Lax is the phrase phrase I'd use. Lax. It's, yeah, Rel- yeah. Rel- in the sense of relaxed. Yeah, yeah, it's more immersive, I think. Um, Diligent. Yeah, we've talked about this a lot before too. Um, you know, just long shots, long takes that are not so fantastical and whimsical and there's so much going on this is a long take yeah no but it's it's a long take that's steady and you really are immersed in the reality of it of you know not much going on but it's so enticing and immersive immersive is the key word yes which us and also speaking of the influence of this i wonder if the relationship between calvin and his wife here you're inspiring Kay and Joey's relationship in Blade Runner 2049. Interesting. I mean, I, I, didn't, I haven't looked or looked yet, so maybe that's true, maybe it's not, but I couldn't help but think of that. And, um, we're, and I'll probably expand on this more once we get to the remake. Yeah, that, that that's an interesting uh, statement. I would, have to, I would have to think about that. What else? What else? I don't have as many notes in this as I thought. Yeah. This is a, this, of the two, this is the longer movie. And uh, since I had the letterbox pulled up right in front of me, 167 minutes. Yes. Um, I, a few more notes that I have is uh, the shots of the ocean just look so abstract and magnificent and so oh, 70s yeah. and trippy. And he's you know, so gorgeous. Okay, now I remember an idea that I wanted to talk about is I think we I brought this up in vanilla when we were talking about vanilla sky, but I love or love it when they give genre material to people who do not traditionally work in genre. Because it usually ends up being very unique and very and very much the best of its kind. And I'd say that applies to this too, because Tarkovsky only made two genre films in to- total and both of them were science fiction, this and Stalker. Yeah. But you're but, but you've never seen a sci-fi film quite like this before or since. You've seen films that try to rep. I mean, replicate it, but never anything quite like this. No, it's definitely pulled off um, very successfully, and just, yeah, he, he's 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 a master of his craft. Um, but I mean, another note that I had was like the midget. I think that was. I think he thought that was pretty funny. Um, I forgot. Like, and speaking of things that may or may not be a little unintentionally, the ending, that pull out shot to reveal that it's or that he may or may not still be in space. Yeah. That, I would say that, it's funny, but it does feel a little totally incongruous, even though it looks really, really cool. It and does look really, really cool, but it's Twilight Zone, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah, it's. I think it's the same. I think it's the same ending as the remake, but it's just sh- shown differently. 
And honestly, I think the the ending of the remake is why I have a little more preference for that, but we'll get there when we get there. Yeah. And my last note, really, for this film is, uh, you know, when they're they're constantly talking about, like, how humanity wants to find a mirror in, um, you know, civilizations in space. The ocean, I think, is is their mirror. Um, Yeah, because it shows them parts of, of themselves that they're looking for also and the sound design too it's just so subtle or subtle on the mixing is great yeah it's so I like think... ethereal and um yeah it, it feels huge quiet. yeah it, it i mean matt tarkovsky's movies are very quiet but they have great sound mixes which i think actually gets lost whenever we talk about them because everyone likes to focus on great raids which understandably so they're great images Oranges, but I really love listening to his films too. Just it's they're so serene and tranquil. Yeah. Tranquil, tranquil is a good way to just to describe it. Uh, I'd say ethereal also. Um, and like the the shots of the ocean, just you they feel gigantic and it feels you know like a like a giant churn. Um, an ocean of noise. Tomorrow yes. phrase from Arcade Fire. And I was uh, also picturing a you know the song "The Ocean" by Led Zeppelin. I was the or Ocean by the Velvet Underground, which there's a lot of spring classic rock songs with Ocean in the title. Uh Hmm. Perhaps Mm. I'll make that my next playlist. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. uh, The understandable, uh, unassailable classic. I think we've said all we can say about the original. That hasn't been said a million times ever by other people. Yeah, you just have to experience it for yourself on a big screen. As big of a screen as you can. I would love to see this in theaters or IMAX. I would do. I would. I've seen both the times I've seen it. I've seen it on on the TV. I'm like, I have to imagine this look looks better in person. And speaking of which, one of the things that supports this is the cityscape shot, the famous oh, one. Oh yeah. That giant wide shot of all the cars moving throughout the city. I got my Godfrey Reggio vibes from that. Yeah. I couldn't think of coin to Scotty the whole time, which was cool. Which was. And like on my on my uh, most recent viewing, um, I forgot how long the shots were of the city and like how many shots there were because it seemed like they were traveling through the city for like a that very was long time. Stuff that struck me most outside or inside of the spaceship stuff and the Im- images with the ocean. Yeah, it felt very intentional. Like he wanted you to really pay attention to what he was showing with these cars. It's not like they're just in it's transit. Also and also the switches between black and white and color or monochrome. Yeah, color, yeah. He he wanted you to like take note of humanity in terms of like a cityscape, Um, and there's like a hard cut to, I think the, the forest or whatever, or um, you know, like the cabin. Oh, but uh, interesting. Yes, he's he's a man of nature. Man of the wild. Andre Tarkovsky's man versus one. <laughs> he would he would just be like <laughs> talking about like, oh. just like sitting around a campfire, a fire eating like a dead, I mean, like bear, I mean, bear meat that he's struggling with. It. <laughs> and he would be like telling you about like the nature of reality and existence. existence. Yes, <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I want to see that. Now. <laughs> I'm so, okay. I'm I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Moving on. Shall we discuss? I mean, what's next? Solaris. 
the remake. Directed by Steven Soderbergh. When you want to get hitched, <laughs> you keep putting this off. 15 or 20 years, I'm just going to stop asking. You know, you're with the right man. Your wife. She's dead. How did you get here? I love you so much. <sighs> What's wrong? That's not your wife. You're dreaming her. She's alive. You found me. I came for you. This is my chance. You don't know what you're in for. Go back. Go back to Earth. You'll die here. You're being manipulated. We are not taking her with us. Are you going to stop me from taking her back? I'd argue just as equally and interesting as or in a history as this. Yeah. James, go on. I, or, I first off, I'd like to mention I watched it twice before the pod. This one I watched twice before the podcast. One of which was obviously the standard view, and the other I watched with the uh, commentary from uh, James Cameron and Steven Soderbergh. Because uh, th- for those who don't know, James Cameron was originally going to direct this like decades ago, but I think he a ended up giving the, this up in favor of the Abyss, and two, or and B, or he thought. Ryan thought that would be best served in the hands of another filmmaker, which in the, that case was Steven Soderbergh. And he even admitted that Ryan that Soderbergh's approach was a lot better than his because his was a lot, better, a lot more action oriented and just, just inherent to him. While Soderbergh's is a lot more subtle, a lot more icy cold, and a lot more um, hum, human focused and artsy. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. I I wouldn't think James Cameron's would have would have been as emotional as Soderbergh's. I don't think. It, it would have been emotional, just not this kind of emotion. It would have been too blockbustery, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. This, this is just right for me. And uh, although I do think he is really, I mean, that commentary track, if you can find it, it's well worth listening to. I mean, too, their observations on love and romance and I mean, how we experience time and whatnot are really quite fascinating. And the actual insights in the production are really cool. Probably one of the best commentary tracks I've ever heard. Wow, I will have to check it out. And uh, one of the one of the quotes that stuck out to me, me uh, was actually from Cameron himself. Was he called this movie a wildly passionate film told in dispassionate terms? Ooh, which I argue applies to the original as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would agree with that. That's a yeah. very poetic statement. Which I, I argue that approach also implies to. We already mentioned nature in the Tarkovsky film. Uh, I argue that's present here, but no way, a way that's a lot more cold and dispassionate. And then, like, the opening shot of the rain and, like, only house plants and stuff like that, like, it's, like, hints of a real, of a real natural world that are just being kind of drowned out. Yeah, like, very contained and, um, you know, like, kept... Borderline artificial. Uh, within, yeah, yeah, borderline artificial, but, like, kept within human, um, yeah. kept by human means. Yeah. And, like, controlled by humans. The color, uh, so. You can see this in the color palette too. It's a lot more cold, or it's a lot colder. It's more metallic, or metallic. A lot of silver, a lot of blue. Yeah, a lot of blue actually. Yeah, I mean there there are a good bit of earth tones in the earth, um, like when it when it's set on Earth, but it's very desaturated. And speaking of filmmakers who don't work in genre, Steven Soderbergh, who has gradually become one of my favorite filmmakers, or at least 
interesting because say what you will about the guy, his filmography is a bit hit and miss. The guy's always experimenting and always trying to do something new and interesting, and I respect that. I respect. Yeah, he's very hit or miss for me. But when he yeah, when he does hit, he shot his last two movies on iPhones. The guy's just trying to do new things all the time, or in time, and you know what? Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But at least, or when it works out, you get something really cool like this, or Ocean's Eleven, or Magic Mike. Yeah, and he's and he's trying new things, so I I applaud him. He also, I mean, he seems very grounded and understanding. Like, yeah, sometimes this works, sometimes it doesn't. Like, he's very um, well well spoken as an art thing, but I'm, I guess, down to earth is how I'd describe him. Yeah, I could see that, and that also serves as a pun for this film. Right. Damn it! I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I'd argue that I don't, and speaking of which, I argue this is just as dreamlike, if not more so, than the uh, or the Tarkovsky one, just in different ways. Yeah, the dialogue more in a subconscious way, not or in, in that the imagery is more like feels like something in lucid dream, dream or what's the REM sleep, right? More grounded in science than the um or in, than the figurative. Yeah, the dialogue certainly is what stuck out to me um, the most in terms of like difference between the two. Um, because like, I don't know, character, it seems like characters said exactly how they feel all the time in this one and Which, in the other one. Like yeah, it, it, I suppose that's going to be kind of a drawback. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, and like in, a, in comparison to the original, it's just so philosophical and rich dialogue. I think the best moments in this are the stuff without dialogue. Oh, totally. Um, yeah, there's a montage I I made a note of it. It's at the 21 minute mark, or mark that legitimately floored me. Like this, I almost consider giving this a perfect end just for that sequence. Wow. It's a, yeah, really, really um, great times of visual storytelling. And speaking of which, uh, one of the, another cool thing I learned from the commentary track is that both Pink Floyd and the Velvet Underground were using his temp music. Oh, nice. Is that they were originally gonna or have? And here's the thing: is they were actually gonna use a Pink Floyd track when he. Space Station, but according to James Cameron, the commentary track, track this is actually his. He just is like, because they wanted to give this the impression that you weren't watching like a stand, a standard like sci-fi action film. But they're like, let's not tip that hand now. Let's like, let's wait it later. Which, you know what? Good on him. That's incredibly mature. I like that. I like that yes, a lot. I appreciate the decision, but yeah. I, I mean, yeah. They almost used Velvet, the Velvet Underground's heroin. By the way, I don't remember where, but, but nice. it was one of the songs they originally were going to use. That's a fantastic song. Great, great song. I would, I would like to see how they would have put it in this film. Like, Actually, where? Because I'm like, I think cutting both of them was ultimately a wise decision. Yeah, but I'm yeah. really curious as to what led them to that. The film and music burrow in me. The film and music burrow in me really wanted to see that, though. <laughs> and speak. And speaking of uh, brilliant music, we have a sco- another. Br- Brilliant, beautiful score from from the one and only Cliff Martinez. Yes, the score also very ethereal and um spacey and spacey yeah <laughs> um you know kind of trippy and uh 
Yeah, but it's min- it's also very minimalist and quiet and cold. And- yeah, nothing like Interstellar. Yeah, wait, and you know what? I might as well get around to it. This cut. I mean, I kind of had an epiphany while watching this because it feels ahead of its time, and it's and it's like almost a patient zero for every science or like big sci-fi movie of the last decade. Or in terms of approach, I mean. Okay. Could you expand upon that? Because I can't think of another sci-fi movie from the 2000s that feels like this, but like I can yeah. see a lot of Ad Astro in this. I can see a lot of Arrival in this. I can see, obviously, Gravity because of the presence of George Clooney. Moon, too. Although that's... Yeah. Like, right, you know what? It counts. Definitely Ad Astra. I love the... I also love the use of shallow focus and at, or some shots that are completely out of focus, which is why I bring up the, or the REM, like, Lucy Dream Sleep. Yes, yes. I think, like, where this film works best for me is it in terms of its visual storytelling yeah because i think this actually is a pretty good looking film yeah i mean i would agree i like the design of the spaceship um i mean, like the, the design of the interiors as well as the like ocean it's more of a like gaseous plasmatic yeah. planet say, than a liquid yeah if i may go back to the commentary track what i think uh soderbergh actually said he wanted the planets to look like during synapses firing in the brain like something kind of yeah, like, I could see that. I could see that. Chemical, which it, I find really interesting. I kind of, and if you notice it, that when the colors change, when throughout the movie, throughout the movie, as uh, as the film goes on, and then starting to affect the main character's uh, mental state, especially when they get closer into it, like when it sucks them in, yeah. it it's gets more like in particular that stuck out to me, and I'm trying to find them right now: blue, purple, and orange. Yeah, it it gets more it gets more like white and bright. As they get sucked in, uh, yeah, and you it, can definitely the see the warmer. Yeah, like which is like neuron connections dichotomy because that usually seems more inviting and honestly kind of creepier. Yeah, but I like it because it 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 shows like the 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 warmth as in like a the center of a being, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I see that. Too. And again, like again, drawing closer in intimacy. Yeah, I really, man. I can't say enough good things about that commentary track. It's really insightful. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Speaking of intimacy, there are a lot of shots of George Clooney's bare ass. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, that's the, that's the thing that almost got this thing in our rating, is that they had a, or they had a cutout. They had a cutout a couple of those because the MPAA were like, why do you have so many shots of his ass? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're already is... A good I bit of shots the, of his ass at PG. I'm just saying, I think there was only one shot in the final cut, but maybe maybe I'm wrong. I remember like two or three, yeah. maybe two, but it felt like a lot more. Yeah, but even then, the one I remember is just like it's in the distance, so it's not like the focus of the shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's still, that's the, the R rating though, and <laughs> I'm wondering if it or how much different this would have been. Because I remember they only shot this like a few months or months before it came out. Like it was like they started shooting in April and the movie came out in November. Oh wow! I was gonna say they cut it real tight, real tight, and I think they got great results under that under such a tight schedule. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I'd I'd also argue another big difference between those is or the the um in the Tarkovsky film the hallucinations are a lot more abstract and a lot. Well, this is a lot more. I don't want to say literal, but more articulate. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it, it, this film, it shows you so much more about the relationship prior to them, him leaving, you know? Like, prior Which to him I being in space. Which I actually like. 
I like it a lot, actually. You see, I I didn't like. I liked how in the original, so much was left up to your interpretation, um, as a means of like showing that like the relationship didn't work out. As where in this film, it seems like the relationship really did work out, and they wanted to be together in the end. But in the other one, like they they were ended up falling out of love, and um, it just didn't work out. But now he's kind of like stuck with her. And um, like she didn't want to be with him anymore. There's, and... there's a greater sadness to it, which I, yeah, I, I like this for different reasons. reasons because like, hey, maybe it's more like he knows it's not real, but the sadness and grief just I mean, resonate with him so strongly that he keeps wanting to believe it is. That's what I mean, compelled me in this. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I don't know. I like I liked how much it left up your interpretation in the original. Um, yeah. Well, like, I mean, you could see the problems in the relationship even when she was there in the original one. Um, while, like, in the other one. Between them. There's that yeah, yeah. Like, you know, so much has happened, and um, we're seeing the aftermath. Um, but in the, uh, in the remake, I mean, it shows all their conflicts and, um, you know, times where they were happy together and times where things weren't working out, but, like, ultimately... Like, it feels like you're seeing, like, fragments of a previous one. Right? Yeah. Like, but not, like, flashbacks, like, usually in movies where it'd be kind of manipul- manipulative and cheesy and borderline cloying. But this more feels like it, like, half-remembered memories. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a valid interpretation. Which is why I, I'm really fascinated by how Steven Soderbergh does genre. And quite frankly, I'd love to see him do another sci-fi movie. Yeah, something Maybe. this... Um, I, I psychological approach to it too. And yeah, yeah, I do like about the original. The sound design in this very different from the one in Tarkovsky's film, but I argue just as distinct and interesting. And something that I thought yeah. about is I really do appreciate the sound design in Soderbergh's movies, especially like the Ocean's Trilogy. Especially is very close to my heart, both as a Vegas native and because because that's just one of the things that just got me into movies. Yeah, Ocean's Eleven. Definitely got me into movies. Um, yeah, it was it was one of those big ones for me. It's the I love how impressionistic and sound or in and uh, experimental his mixes are, or like sometimes dial or in a log won't play or or in the voice, but it it feels like or in like someone remembering while also listening to another conversation present, remembering the past. Yeah, and, and the score is uh, usually you know at the forefront, which I like yeah. over dialogue. Um, yeah. I mean, like I like when the dialogue is just completely muted, so you infer what they're saying. Or they, or can... And he usually focuses on like a key few sounds, so that way he doesn't overwhelm the dialogue, which actually was an intentional choice. Uh, and uh, going back to that thing about nature that was brought it up, I love the ju- that opening shot of the rain on the window, and how it's ju- kind of a juxtaposition from the opening. Like it's kind, of, you know, here's how we're setting ourselves apart, but here's how we're also respecting what came before us. Yeah, yeah, it's just enough of a um, a callback. In reference, I think, and it, it does work. Yeah, I, I I did like notice that when it was you know, the first shot being a a nature oriented uh, item or whatever. But it's it's through the through the lens of human um, interaction because it's you know through a house window, which I think is cool. More focus on humanity and like more in our relationship with our you know what we've made for ourselves than the actual nature, which I find interesting. Which I find it interesting and just as valid in some respects. Yeah, yeah, because like I, I feel like the first one, it's more of like nature, the nature of humanity in terms of 
like us being organic and natural. Yeah. It's, and then it's original is about the wor- in a world we're born into. This is about the world we've made. Ooh, yeah, that's that's that hits the nail on the head. Yep, I like. Shit, I think I just covered. We covered all of my notes. We 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 were pretty efficient on this one. I was gonna say I expected this to go on for another for at least two hours, but this I think we might get this under time. I think we might. Yeah, we we really covered everything in a you know very timely manner. And anyway, I will if I'm gonna wrap up our discussion on the or in the 2002 version. It, I am not surprised at all that this didn't click with audiences, and not just because uh, you mentioned Ad Astor already, but the, the, both films ultimately got screwed by misleading leading marketing. Because this solo is more kind of like a sci-fi actioner, like George Clooney. <laughs> In space. And, and speaking of which, uh, this is one of the only movies to get an F cinema score. Wow. I was going to say, yeah, audiences were not kind of this one. I mean, I Chris, could see Chris that being... And I, I'm glad it's getting a, in a bit of a cult following now. Like, where this is... when I was actually... Uh, I did a thing on Twitter, actually, where I asked when people, what are some cases of remakes that you'd say are on par with the original book for entirely different reasons. More than a one, one person in that reply mentioned Solaris. Nice. Nice. And I personally went and not tip my hand that that's why I was asking. Yeah. I mean, uh, I could I could see them, audiences not liking it due to marketing reasons, but um, yeah, also, cool. it just felt very ahead of its time. Like, I feel like it's it not an invalid reason. I, I hate it when man. movies get screwed over like that. And because it just does, it does a disservice to the film, and... You can't blame someone for not running for non and if they were led to believe that this is something completely different. Because, well, yeah, it's just false advertising. But in fairness, I also don't know how the hell you'd market this. Yeah. Um, I'd blame yeah. it more of the mystery angle, honestly, early. I mean, how to market it as big of a blockbuster that it was, like how big of a production that it was. I think it was more of a mid-budget, though, because this... If I'm not mistaken... It looked but... very... It looked it looked pretty big. Yeah, moderate. It looked like a mid-budget movie for the time. Let's see. Third, yeah. the production budget was only forty-seven million. Oh wow! And it only took in thirty million at the box office. Pouring one out. I mean, like going back to what you said, I, the majority of the times that marketing has been misleading for me, the film has really has worked for the better. Than what it was marketed. I agree, but it makes me sad because it me or it means the movie or a movie in question never gets a fair shake with the bro- with the broader populace. And it, it usually has to be you know yeah, but, a decade or so for it to come yeah, back. For it or for people to come back around to it, which I'm glad that this is the or people have gotten back around to this because yeah, I'm of the opinion this is one of Soderbergh's best movies. This is nice. Yeah, there there are aspects of this film that I really really like, and then I don't know, just a lot of it. Didn't click with me the way it did with you. I um, kind of like the ending too. I kind of in that we don't actually see like the bra pull out of space. In a way, it's both less and more subtle. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, yeah, the dialogue clearly shows that this is not. I mean, this is not in the rain in the on Earth, but it it. I mean, you could argue the original packs a bigger punch because again, the imagery is just so strong with it. I mean, this is a lot sadder and stranger and more surreal and cuts on a deeper level. At least, yeah. It, no, 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 no. I, I agree. It's, it's more of a human and um, it's like, emotional. It's ending. like the, 
nightmare logic of you know, people to, when you know try to tell you everything's okay when you can tell nothing. Brandon, that when the opposite could be more true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Which, I think it's the same ending. Scary. But... It's just sad. When it's sad, and it and kind of fascinating and really nice. Yeah, kind of, kind of reminded me of Shutter Island. Yeah, I can see that. Which speaking of which, I rewatched that recently. Man, that is one of Scorsese's best movies. It's in his top five, in my top five of his work. Honestly, I completely agree. Um, I would love to see that on the big picture. But uh, I mean, like going back to what I you heard said earlier, a restoration of it. Oh wow! Yep, that would be. And uh, speaking of HD, awesome. uh, I am remiss to find that there is no Blu-ray. Oh no! For one of me. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's just the DVD, which, uh, I mean, you can rent it on iTunes and whatnot, right not, but I can, I'm still kind of pissed that we haven't gotten this in HD yet, and we probably might not because of the Fox merger. Man, I just realized how much, a lot, how well we're going to miss out on a lot of good films getting proper restorations and releases now because Disney owns Fox, and they just don't really care about, like, preserving stuff that isn't in their vault. Uh, that, that, that irks me. It outright infuriates me, honestly. But that but that is neither here nor there. Anyway, now we come to the big deciding moment. Drum roll. Which one do we like more? You go first. I'm honestly more partial to the Sutterer one. Yeah. And as much yeah. as I appreciate Tarkovsky's wearing deliberate pacing, I also think this is a story that benefits from a little brevity. Yeah, yeah. Because of its intimacy. Again, I I give both a solid eight out of ten, but and ultimately chalk up or that which one you think is better. Ultimately, entire preference. Yeah, no, it, they're both excellent films, and I think it just comes down to preference. Um, the the Soderbergh one definitely needs another re another watch for me, um, a rewatch. But I mean, I'm I'm gonna have to go with Tarkovsky just because it hit it hit me That's more on a fair. yeah. I, I mean, it hit me more of like. More in a film esque um, standpoint, and just like seeing how technically how beautiful it was, and just how rich and philosophically full the dialogue was, and you know storytelling through dialogue and mood and tone. It's just a beautiful cacophony of Tarkovsky cinema, and it's just I I, I just love it so much. And the Soderbergh one, it. I feel like it's gonna grow on me. I just need another watch, but there are things about it that I definitely appreciated and I'm, really enjoyed. Yeah, let's just. I'm just hoping that it, that that a Blu-ray doesn't get announced last minute because this is having me like three separate occasions where I bought where I buy a Blu-ray only for the better better upgrade to be announced. Like I bought the Universal Blu-ray of the Thing right before Screen Factory announced theirs. I bought the Big Trouble in Little China Blu-ray right before Shock Factory announced theirs. And then I bought Flash Gordon before Arrow Video put out a full 4K restoration of it. I feel like I just screwed myself three times. Three times! Oh, well. It is what it is. Yeah. Anyways, everyone, thank you for listening. If you want to check out the podcast on Twitter, it's just at Warp Celluloid. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you can get your podcast. If you want yes. to follow Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to follow Chandler on Letterboxd, just Chandler Williams. Yep. Simple as that. Again, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Anyway, thank you, thank you. Take care, everyone. Peace.